It is the start. Greg Mackling along with Loren McNabb. Brett McGarry returns on Monday. And Loren, I'm just watching Global News Morning in the studio here. And I see our friends, the Winnipeg Sea Bears. We touched on this yesterday. I sent a note to them during our program yesterday because I went on to Ticketmaster to check and see how many tickets were left for Saturday's final regular season home game final regular season game altogether. And all I could find were two single seats. And yesterday afternoon, the Seabears confirmed that they have in fact sold out their game for Saturday. It's their fifth consecutive sellout. This team has become an absolute monster at the, at the gate and Winnipeggers seem to be in love with pro basketball. And I think you're planning to go on Saturday night. Are you not? Yeah, it makes sense why we have uh, uh, some friends that went to get some tickets a few weeks ago and they mentioned, okay, we got tickets, but they're not where I thought they might be or where we could get because there's weren't many seats left. And now it makes sense with that game sold out. So 8,100 fans expected at that game Saturday night. They've already set attendance records. You know, I think they own the five most attended games in league history. Of course, you know, this is inaugural season. Their last record was 7,300, so now they they almost beat that by 1,000. It's really just incredible, and I think it also just goes to show you um, that this game, like the passion behind this game, I'd be the first to put up my hand 10 years ago and say, I don't know if th- this would work here, and that is only because largely, you know, in my own household growing up, basketball just wasn't that big, and now it feels like a game that so many kids are playing. It's a, a game that so many people who come from all over the world to live in Manitoba also are attracted to, and I think it's super cool. When we had David Asper in the studio just before the launch of the Sea Bears season, the CL CEBL's fifth season, and of course, as you mentioned, the inaugural season for the Sea Bears, he, he mentioned that this is Canada's sort of new sport. It's the sport of new Canadians. And Winnipeg is a basketball town. I've been convinced of that. I've, I've, I've mentioned several times that when the Winnipeg Thunder were here, they, they, they drew very decent crowds. And it wasn't really the lack of success of the Thunder that caused them to go away. It, were, it was more the leagues that they were involved in were not very healthy. So if you're going to the Sea Bears, if you've been to a Sea Bears game, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a text, 204-780-68. 68. We have Winnipeg Blue Bomber tickets to give away this morning. We'll tell you in a little bit how you can win those tickets. And today it's sort of a conversation, Loren, about food and water. Yeah, there's a couple things on that agenda. First of all, you just heard in the news run with Sarah McCarthy, just the fact that Show Lake 40 First Nation has filed a lawsuit against the city of Winnipeg and the federal government over the fact that, you know, well over a century ago, the city made that decision to divert water from Show Lake 40 uh, through an aqueduct and, and bring clean drinking water to Winnipeg. And as we all know, uh, over the years, that caused major problems for, for Show Lake 40. It turned it into an island. There was access issues. The up until just a few years ago, the only way on and off Shoal Lake 40 was through this sort of ferry type structure, which was just a really just a small boat that could take a couple cars. They've had clean drinking water issues for well over two decades before that was eventually restored. And now they're finally asking for compensation. So we're looking to bring the chief on or the lawyers representing them in this claim to hear more about what they're after. But it Makes sense to me that they're finally doing this. I'm not, can't say I'm surprised. That's on the waterfront, Greg. On the food front, uh, you know, we'll get into this after seven, but all of us, I think, 
are trying – I don't know about you. I hate it when I throw out and waste food, perhaps now more than ever. And now imagine if you're a grocery store or a bakery that has odds and ends that just didn't get sold that day and you don't want to toss them or waste them, but you're trying to figure out what to do with them. Well, about a year ago, there's this company that started this app called Too Good To Go that connects stores with consumers on some of those items that might not be the freshest or you know made – just hours ago, might have been made a day ago, but the food's still good, and they sell it at a, a somewhat discounted price, and they've found huge success. So we're going to get more into just how to divert food into our bellies as opposed to the landfill throughout the day. And we'll also uh, learn about an operation, uh, an app that's operational in Toronto. It's called Be One to Give. We'll speak to its founder, its CEO. The story behind its creation is fascinating. And we'll find out if there's any opportunity for that operation to come to Winnipeg at some point. In Western Manitoba, our old stomping grounds, Loren, we have uh, Southwest Manitoba has uh, dense fog, which is developed. So there's a fog advisory for that part of the province. And that is uh, basically, you know, in that in that cor- very corner all the way from uh, basically Porridge-la-Prairie to the Saskatchewan border and then north of the parkland all the way to the North Dakota border. And then we also have a severe thunderstorm watch for areas north of that. You were talking about Swan River, those areas uh, in and around the Saskatchewan border uh, all the way north just to uh, the paw there. So if you're traveling in that part of the province or live in that part of the province, you're dealing with a couple of uh, different issues and could be dealing with uh, some thunderstorms uh, later on and, and maybe even early this morning. Uh, the weather just been such a big topic of conversation over the last several days, Loren, with the precipitation, with the heat, with the haze. Uh, it's, uh, it's as much news as it is, you know, water cooler talk, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and I think we know that in Manitoba, right? We talk an awful lot about the weather, but I don't know uh, which might beat the other this year. You know, I feel like every day in winter, it's a topic of conversation, but now this summer has just been kind of an unusual one, right? So hot in June, and then there was a couple cool weeks in July, and then this week, that rain and storm that just woke everybody up, it felt like, in the middle of the night. And speaking of heat, you know, of course, we've been really watching what's going on in the West Coast with fires and then over in Europe. And so later this morning, we're also going to talk to a travel expert about a couple of things. One, you may not know this, but if you're going to travel to Europe in the next year, they're coming up with a permit system. You're going to need this permit to get into the European Union, at least. And then when it comes to the countries you might pick, where does heat register on the radar? Are we going to have to change the way we travel based on on how hot some of these places Mm. are now getting? We'll have that chat later this morning. And on the other side of weather We'll let you know about the Manitoba government's latest move to crack down on drinking and driving. Impaired driving, really, we have to call it now, of course, because uh, there are other substances that can create impairment when you're behind the wheel. We'll have details on that. As we continue this morning on The Start, thanks for spending some time with us. It's Mackling and McNabb on 680 CJOB. Mackling and McNabb and Gary returns on Monday. Another M, the Manitoba government, and yet another M, MPI, Manitoba Public Insurance, are making more moves to punish those who decide to drive well impaired, Loren. So starting in just a matter of days, August 1st, any Manitoban convicted of impaired driving will face new consequences when it comes to insurance, what is or is not covered by their actions. Global News' Tegan Rasha has the details. 
So far this year, seven Manitobans have lost their lives due to impaired drivers. And in an effort to keep roads safer and reduce the number of fatalities, MPI and the government have announced new measures to discourage impaired driving. I'm going to get you to take a breath in. Keep going, go, 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 go. Drivers who have a criminal conviction or roadside prohibition will be denied third-party liability coverage. Beginning on August 1st, uh, so just a few weeks from now, uh, MPI will now have the ability to deny impaired drivers coverage for damage they cause to another person's vehicle or property. The changes will apply to drivers of all types of motor vehicles, including off-road vehicles. MPI's pursuit of impaired drivers to repay the damages sends a powerful message that there will be no leniency for reckless behavior on our roads. MPI pays about $2.2 million a year for damages caused by impaired drivers. It will still cover the cost of damages moving forward, but will seek repayment from the offender. We have a department that looks after recovery of monies, and uh, so there are all sorts of ways that can be done, including uh, refusal to renew a driver license, refusing to renew vehicle insurance and registration. The new measures are on top of existing punishments for impaired driving. Those driving under the influence were already responsible for damages to their own vehicles. They can also face license suspension, vehicle impoundment, participation in the ignition interlock program, and criminal charges. Mad Winnipeg applauds the new rules. Behind these changes are real people. Those who have suffered unimaginable pain and loss due to impaired driving incidents. NPI says these new measures were inspired by British Columbia and Saskatchewan, who also have publicly funded insurance and already have these rules in place. Tegan Rasha, Global News. Loren, this has been an absolute commitment, a focus, a priority for this uh, government ever since it came into power seven years ago. Yeah, they made some changes a few years ago just to the rules around how um, police can interact with you. They've been trying to stiffen penalties for everything from distracted driving to impaired driving in terms of the rules and regulations around that. And, you know, the seizure of even your vehicle at the side of the road and now this. And so it happens, right? Someone gets behind the wheel. They're impaired. They don't just uh, maybe wreck their car. They smash into something and wreck, say, a, a store or a restaurant. And, and the insurance is... You know, they're not covering that now, and that's a big change. I don't know, man, I don't know how much more can be done on the deterrent side, mm. but the penalties are fast and furious now in this province. Yep, and uh, the, there are precedents uh, for doing this across the country, as you heard in that report. Mackling McNabb with you, McGarry returns on Monday, and we should jump right into this. 150, that's how many family doctors the province is hoping to hire and attract after contracting a recruiting firm this week for help, Loren. Yeah, so the progressive conservatives in this province, they've hired this firm out of Toronto, and it's part of a what appears to be a bigger overall strategy to not just bring more doctors to this province, but, you know, retain them. Changes are also being made to the accreditation process for internationally trained doctors. And so there's been a lot of announcements over the past couple of days, and we're trying to figure out how this is all going to work. Dr. Michael Boroditsky is the president of Doctors Manitoba and joins us now. Are you a KISS fan, doctor? Yeah, rock and roll all night long. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay One- perfect. Yeah, Wayne in the 80s. We're good. We're good. Thanks. (laughs) Okay, so do we have a sense of how many family doctors we actually need? I know there's a shortage in the hundreds of overall doctors, but where do we land on the family doctor front? Yeah, great question. So, 
you know, we're estimating about just over 400 to meet our, our national quota of physicians, and we're probably looking in the area of about half uh, for that, if not more, in the 250 range. But, you know, it's difficult, to, you know, your colleague Greg and I were talking outside, to fill the numbers, it's not quite a one-for-one. One. You know, we have docs that have worked for decades that had massive uh, patient loads, uh, worked 80, 90 hours a week, and that's not the case anymore. Uh, we have people that come in that want a better quality of life, that want to have that family as well, be able to contribute to the community in other ways and aren't working that 80, 90 hour week. So you need two or three docs to fill the one that left. So although those numbers of 150, of 400, uh, those are things you can grab onto. I, I think in reality, it's more. It's more to service the community and to really make a real robust healthcare system in Manitoba. So now the question is, where do these folks come from? We're only training so many doctors in Manitoba every year. Manitoba is a place where you have to work pretty hard in order to convince folks from other parts of Canada to come to. That's just the reality of the of the situation, doctor. So how are we going to do it and, and where are we looking? Well, I think uh, the steps done and announced the last couple of days, there's a good step forward, the recruitment of 150 you know, we have international medical graduates right now. We have a program that's been expanded from 20 to 40, and those physicians come from all corners of the world. We even have local Manitobans that have gone and trained in countries like UK and Australia, uh, and uh, they want to come back to Manitoba. There's barriers, and the college and the registration guidelines that the, guide, the government changed will make a big step. So I think there is physicians out there, or there are physicians out there to come here. I think we just need to make the barriers less arduous for them to do so. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think that they'll come from all over if, uh, if we can support them. Are we talking about a situation where there's actually 150, say, out there that we could attract or we're going to play sort of more of a slow game because some of it will be coming out of different universities and having to wait for people yeah. to have the right skills before they can actually work here? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So there are many, many people, I, I couldn't tell you the numbers, but measured in the hundreds of physicians that live in Manitoba that aren't working right now from other countries. Now, we have to do diligence. The college, and I trust them immensely, to make sure that they are credentialed and will provide safe care to the Manitobans. So it's not like you can just come in and start working tomorrow. There are certain uh, um, evaluation process that need to be in place. But the, yes, there are doctors out there. You know, I know of, of a number of doctors that went over to Ireland and trained. Uh, but for them to come back into the system and just start practice when they're done their registrar years, is, is, it's not actually all that easy. Yeah, talk about that, because I worked once upon a time in the furniture business with a gentleman. He was selling furniture and <laughs> gone back to medical school, even yeah. though he was a doctor in Argentina. Yeah. But no. he basically had to start his residency from scratch, correct? That, that's 100% the case. So I had the pleasure of working with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Katz, who who is an Argentinian fellow. And when I was starting uh, my attending years, so I had finished my training, he came back and was a resident, and he was 15 years older than I was. Uh, he was in his mid-40s, and he moved his whole family and had to start his training again. So, you know, Doctors Manitoba is not in the game of, of deciding who and how to credential, but we're here to support the physicians that do come here. And, and our biggest message is bring us the physicians to expand our membership, to provide better and, uh, and more efficient and timely care to Manitobans, because the numbers are thrown out there, 150,000 or so don't have family physicians. So, this is a great step. It's not the only step, uh, but I'm confident if we can have people working together to recruit and bring something in, uh, that it'll be helpful for sure. Yeah. 
Where is the need the greatest in the sense of community, doctor? Because I grew up in a small town and I now live in a small town. And I'm telling you, man, the, the issues that exist and have existed for years feel like they're worse now than ever before when it comes to just the lack of doctors in the small towns. Do we have a sense of where the problem might be at its worst? So I think you hit the nail right on the head. You know, there is need everywhere. There's no question. But our rural colleagues probably see the biggest uh, crunch. You know, gone are the days where you have, you know, two docks, three docks working in a town of 5,000 and they just are available every other night, every third night. We need to expand that. Uh, and we've seen the, the crisis in the emergency rooms in the, in the, uh, in the rural environments. And the new service agreement that, that we're hoping to ratify in, within the next month, I think we'll have a step to addressing some of that, to supporting our rural docks, to supporting the emerges uh, in the rural communities, because it is essential. Our, our province is expanding uh, in the southeast. You look at the Winkler area, you look at Dauphin, even Brandon, you go up north into the Paw, Thompson. These towns are getting bigger. We have immigration that's coming up there. I, just the other day, I saw six patients from up north. They were from Ukraine and Nigeria. We are expanding those communities and we need providers to help uh, care for them. Just before we let you go, we know you've got to run to, to make an appointment with Global News Morning, but just Give us, you know, we talk about doctors and the shortage and, and we think that it impacts only healthcare, but it's got a greater impact potentially on the economy of the province and the ability, you mentioned small communities, to grow their economies because if there's no doctors, they're not going to be able to attract workers into those communities, et cetera, et cetera. There's no question. I mean, physicians are an important part of the community. They're not the only part. Our system needs to build up other allied health services, the nurses, uh, the, the diagnostic services. We're in a in a crisis of healthcare, and COVID, as I said to you before, just unmasked it. I don't think it made the crisis. And, and I think people are talking now. We're sitting at the table. Stakeholders are coming together, and we're putting forward solutions. Time will tell whether it's going to make the changes, but I'm very optimistic that some of the changes that have been made as far as physicians are concerned, that it will at least uh, move the ship a little bit. Dr. Michael Boroditsky is the president of Doctors Manitoba, joined us live in studio. Doctor, thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you in person. It's my pleasure. Thank we'll let you head over time. to Global News Morning, and you can do so too if you'd like to hear more conversation uh, with Dr. Boroditsky. It is the start on 680 CJOB. Good morning to you. Thanks for spending some time with us. We want to send you to see... The Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the British Columbia Lions. That's coming up next Thursday. Bombers on their bye week this week, but they'll get back to work on the weekend on Sunday and then they get ready for the Lions on Thursday. We want you to be in the stands. And Loren, we're talking about food. We're talking about water today. And for this segment, we're going to talk about reducing food waste, uh, maybe in our favorite way. In our favorite way, what are your favorite leftovers? And I think it can be like just the thing you put in the fridge, pull out, warm up and eat the next day because lots of people will argue sometimes it is better the next day depending on the item or it could be taking the leftovers and maybe turning them into something else like ideas for what to do with the leftover, I don't know, turkey or roast or what have you. So let's have at it. Let's make us hungry as of now. 6.50, <laughs> we'll be starving by 6.56. 
Sarah McCarthy, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, were, were you home? I was the, home. For the weekend? The and extended some break. Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some, some, some mama food. or the, yep. who, who cooks in your... Oh, in, the, my mom. Your yep. mom does? Yep. Okay. Dad barbecues. But Dad barbecues, yep. okay. Yep. Uh, favorite leftovers? Favorite leftovers. Brought some with me. Spaghetti. Spaghetti sauce. Homemade spaghetti sauce. Just letting those flavors marinate a couple more days, I think, just makes it all better. What's the, what is it about your mom's spaghetti sauce that's so good? Just all the vegetables, honestly. It's oh. like, it's still, <laughs> it's still, it's I wasn't still expecting like, that answer. <laughs> it's still like a ground beef base, but she puts like peppers, onions, yeah, you name it, just anything lying around that just we need to use Just tell me there's up. no celery in there's it. There's no celery, okay, no. Good, None good, of that good. stringy stuff, no. <laughs> what about you, Rowicki? Well, my grandma and mom, they go, they go full out every holidays. Like it's always... You know, there's the pierogies, halachi, meatballs, but me and my brothers, we get very, very competitive about my grandma's stuffing. Mm. And when and after supper's over and the leftovers get put away and everyone's grabbing their their takeout trays, my one brother will just peer over everyone like a hawk. Like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> That's, that's way too. That's that's way too much. Like more you gotta, than your yeah. more than your allotment. Yeah, exactly. And he like, he is just he's on he's on everyone. He needs to get his adequate amount of stuffing, and of course, he always takes by far the most. Okay, so I'm mean, going to just digress. Uh, just a sidebar conversation here. You have three brother, two brothers, three older brothers, three older brothers. And then, so when there's like one candy bar left or, you know, two of something and you have to split something, do you do the old uh, one cuts, the other picks, which, which half they get? Hopefully it's a half. Someone's getting the whole thing. So, oh, really? Yeah, oh, it, there's no compromise. We're, we're not big at sharing food in our, in our family. <laughs> it's, it's always just been a battle. Okay. What about you, McNabb? Did you do, have that rule one cuts, the other picks? No, no, we didn't. But I hear Tyson. I also have three other siblings. And so those meals do become like, you know, you want to, you're also annoyed with the one that you see going into the fridge, say at 10 at night. You know, if you're all staying overnight at Christmas or Thanksgiving, and you're like, whoa, 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 what are you taking in there? Because you're already dreaming about the leftovers for the next day. I don't know if I'm the only one that does, does that, but I can go to bed being like, oh man, that turkey <laughs> sandwich is going to taste so good tomorrow. Like I'm already excited about it. Uh, for me... This is funny that Sarah just brought up her mom's spaghetti sauce. I yesterday was making chili. The kids had gone to visit my parents and my mama had made them chili and they loved it. And they had asked me to make chili. And I yesterday tried for like several hours to try to make it like my mom's and it's not. And so it's in the fridge right now where I'm hoping something magical has happened in the leftover process <laughs> where it will be better today because it's just not right. So that's like one of my favorite leftovers would be the chili or the spaghetti mm-hmm. or even the lasagna. Um, if it's something that, that tastes better the next day, I always find Chinese food. I love way more the next day than you stole the, mine. The, oh, sorry. <laughs> stole mine. Okay. Well, I'll skip that one. And no, then no, and, no, no, no. Go to it. Go to it. Come on now. Cats over the bag. And then the things that don't left, leave at all are like salads. I get annoyed if there's any. You can't put a salad in the fridge and pull it out the next no. day unless no. it's like obviously a potato salad or a coleslaw or what have you. Yeah, especially Sorry. if there's croutons in that salad. That, no, that, that'll no, you destroy it. You can't have right? dressing. That's the thing. You cannot have dressing right. on it. 
Well, that's where it's hard when you cook them for your family, right? You're, you want to dress the salad and then like, everybody better eat this salad. It is dressed. It is good to go. It cannot go back into the fridge. So, Forche, Chinese is yours? Well, Chinese is mine. And uh, like, my problem though is like, it doesn't even make it to the microwave. I end up going to the fridge and I pick at it. Yes. I just, just, yeah, I just start (laughs) picking at it. And like, you know, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Just put it, put it back, put it back. And like 15 (laughs) minutes later, sitting on the couch and like, oh. Here comes the hunger. And I go back, you know, I'm picking at the veal or I'm picking at uh, the ginger beef. And then, you know, yeah, just it's a it's a whole situation. It barely makes it to the microwave. I'm that I'm that person. I totally hear you, Forte. And the same with uh, some pasta. Like pasta can be like chips to me. Like a penne pasta, I'll eat that like right standing at the fridge. Oh yeah, that's that's a good one. I like the way the penne soaks up the sauce, yes. whatever sauce yeah. you might be having. My kids prefer the spaghetti, but I like the penne and have for a long time. But my go-to leftover, or favorite leftover now, you know, I love the spaghetti and the and the lasagna. And I agree with you. There are so many things that taste better the the next day. Sometimes it's pizza. Yeah. Under the broiler, you warm it up, and mm-hmm. it's just it's got that extra flavor. But right now, I'm on a kick of leftover steak, and yes. I don't okay. and I don't heat it up. I eat it cold. So after you barbecue it, and it's sat for a little bit, and you cut it up into strips. Oh my gosh, it is yeah. so good. And in fact, I added Loren uh, just the last few days. I made a big mess of of prawns, garlic prawns on Saturday on the barbecue. We still have some in the fridge and they're so good cold with that cold steak, a little bit of peppers. Oh my goodness. You can't go wrong. Can I just say any leftover that you don't have to do any work with, like you don't even have to make a plate. You don't have to make a plate. You just have to go to the fridge, pull it out and put it in your mouth. Oh yeah. Leftovers. We're wasting a ton of food. We're going to have a couple of different conversations about organizations, group apps, that are helping us reduce the massive amount of food that we waste every year. One way to do that is leftovers. Let us know. 204-780-6868. Good morning. It is the start. Mackling and McNabb with you on this Wednesday morning. Feels like a hump day that's very much needed. One of those days where you start your day, it's only Wednesday, and then by the end of your day, it's like, yes, tomorrow's already a Thursday. The very definition of hump day. And another H word, hamburgers, leftover hamburgers as we start our hour. Straight out of the fridge. That's listener Warren's favorite, the leftover. We're talking leftovers this morning because we want to give away some Blue Bomber tickets and your chance to win based on you telling us your favorite leftover or favorite way to jazz up leftovers and why. We'll give those tickets away at 9.15, Loren. And we're talking leftovers this morning because as good as some of those choices can be, like the hamburgers or Chinese food, the fact remains a lot of leftover food gets tossed out every single day. And and if you think you might be bad for it in your home, imagine how it must feel to have that extra food in a grocery store or restaurant or, or bakery. A couple of years ago, the folks behind the Too Good To Go app decided to do something about it. This app connects consumers with goods that might have previously been thrown out at a lower cost. And, you know, not long ago, they had just a handful of stores. And today, 137 have connected through the app just here in Winnipeg. Sarah Sutteroff is with Too Good To Go. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. And Belinda Bijot, High Tea Bakery on Portage Avenue. Hi, Belinda. 
Morning. How are you? I'm great. Good to have you both back because when this first launched, the idea was, okay, this is cool. But I was curious to see, we wondered, how is it going? So Sarah, first of all, just how does it work? How does the app help? Yeah, it's a pretty simple solution to ending food waste. What we do is connect businesses who have surplus food with consumers like you, me, everyone listening to purchase that food at a pretty steep discount. Almost everything sold on the app is sold for one third the retail price. So if you are like Belinda, for example, you have some extra croissants or baked goods or anything that is surplus at that time, you can put it onto the app. You will showcase the real value that you would have paid in store. You'll see the new value that the consumer pays, which is a pretty big discount, one third on average. And then the consumer picks that up. Belinda or the other store owners pick the time that they want the store, the consumers to come and pick up the food. And then we're all doing our part to reduce food waste. We're helping businesses make a little bit of extra money on that food that would otherwise go to waste. And consumers are getting a great deal on awesome food. So Belinda, uh, High Tea Bakery on Portage, uh, best imperial cookies on the planet, by the way. I can only imagine that they do not make it into your surprise bags, or maybe they do. How, 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 do, you, how, how do you get rid of this surplus food and, 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 and surprise bags? Uh, how do they work? Well, for us, it's actually, you'd be surprised at the number of imperial cookies that end up in there because we do so many logoed cookies, things like that. And when you're getting machinery working just right, getting it all calibrated, there's a lot of off prints and you can't send a customer if I make you guys, you know, global cookies and the logo is half off of the cookie. I can't sell that to you, but I can put it in a too too good to go box and, you know, it still tastes just as good as the other imperial cookies. Um, so we find it's a really great way to, you know, clearly we're not making money on it, but it feels good knowing that we're not wasting it. This food isn't going in the compost and we're sort of recouping some of our losses that happen naturally in the course of the day in a bakery or restaurant. Well, tell us a bit about those losses, Belinda, because I, I always like every time I have to toss something, I am mad. I think, what a waste. Like, why didn't I see this in the back of the fridge? I should have figured out what to do with this. Maybe it's still good and I can eat it. Are we talking about items that you just can't sell because they're not fresh and therefore would have been tossed? Like, how much are no, we talking well, about if you weren't using this app? Yeah, it, it's really nice because it's a mix. And people should be aware of that. This isn't just, you know, a cupcake that didn't sell that day, although it might be. But it can be anything. So if, you know, you're training new staff and they overbake a bunch of cookies, but half of them are still edible, they're just way too dark. You can't put them in the counter. But these things can still be eaten. We'll put those aside. They're not going to go in the compost now. They're going to go in a too-good-to-go box. Or you're cutting up, you know, we have brownies or lemon squares where we don't sell the edges. It gets kind of crispy on the edge. It doesn't look as nice when we cut them. So we cut those off and trim them, and we used to keep them in a bowl, and staff would just kind of nibble. We still do that, actually. But, um, you know, you, you can't eat that much sugar all the time. So, uh, you know, now those ends go in the box as well, and they're really tasty. And what we find is it actually brings in new customers, too, because, you know, not everyone's going to be coming across town. But if they happen to be, they'll stop in, they'll grab a little box, and they get some end bits of this you got half a broken cookie you've got a cupcake and some imperial cookies you know it, it's different every day but it it helps you stop you know it's not as heartbreaking when you break the cookie and are like no you know <laughs> now at least it has somewhere to go and you know it's not just going in the compost because that really 
upsets me. Yeah, well, it's second life, and, and that's really what we're talking about here. But Sarah, I think sometimes as consumers, we forget that we're paying for that store to be open or that bakery to be open when we want it. So we're, we're paying for their lights when we're not in the store. We're paying for the wages of the people that work there when we're not there. And we're also paying for food that ultimately doesn't get sold. That's built into the price of everything we buy. Yeah, I love Belinda's example, too, of like we always say that food waste is super unpredictable. And I think that those examples highlight the unpredictable nature of where we're seeing food waste happen. And it's at the store level, but it's also at the home level. Um, Winnipeggers waste about $2,000 per year on food that just doesn't get consumed at home. So think like the head of lettuce that you don't get to or a tomato that maybe gets a little bit mushy before you want to eat it. And that's food that is perfectly good to eat. We purchased it with a great intention and we just didn't get to it. And so we want to help people think about food waste differently at every level. The store level is super important, but it's also thinking about, I love the segment you guys are doing on your favorite leftovers because we also actually put out a cookbook on leftover recipes a couple of years ago. So we're just thinking separately from even just buying food. How do we consume food at home? What does that look like? Um, 63% of the food that gets wasted by Winnipeggers at home is just because it got sat in the fridge for too long. You know, it wasn't that it was anything had gone wrong with it or that they people didn't want to eat it. It's really just that we are, I think, bad judges of what we're going to get to, and we tend to overbuy and overconsume. The cost of food that we're seeing increase has a huge impact on where we're also seeing people want to lower those costs. So I think inflation is a hot topic of you know, the last couple of years, and food inflation is even higher than real-life inflation. At about 10.4%, Manitoba is the highest in the country in terms of food inflation. So that's a, a huge chunk of people's budget that's going toward food every month. If you can find ways to lower that cost, even just consume the food that you have at home, shop your pantry, shop your fridge before purchasing food again, I think we'll start to see a real impact on that. And then the end result is fantastic because we're all helping to reduce food waste. All right, Sarah, thank you for this. How do we uh, get the app? Just wherever apps are, are are available and downloadable? Yeah, Too Good To Go in the app in Google Play Store. And then if you're a business and this sounds interesting to you, go to toogoodtogo.ca and you can click for businesses and start selling food today. Belinda Bijot, High Tea Bakery on Portage Avenue. I uh, got to get that uh, surprise bag one of these days. And Sarah Soderoff with Too Good To Go joining us this morning on the start. Your favorite leftovers to win bomber tickets, 204-780-6868. We start this half hour traveling, planning a trip out of province, out of the country in the months or years ahead. Well, we have a couple of headlines that might make you pause. Greg, you actually spotted both of these early this morning from CBS in the States. Flight delays, cancellations could continue for a decade amid airline worker shortage. That's from CBS at globalnews.ca. The headline, Canadians traveling to Europe will soon need a permit. And when it comes to travel to Europe, we've been talking this week about the heat and fires in Greece, the heat in Italy, and and wondering if that might change habits or maybe even timing of when people travel in the years to come. Marty Firestone is the president of Travel Secure and our go-to guy whenever we have travel questions. Good morning, Marty. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. If you don't mind, I'd like to start with the staffing shortages because that headline came from the States, but I'm curious, are we still seeing that here in Canada or elsewhere, the, the lack of workers maybe in airports or airlines? 
Yeah, it, it, it's everywhere. And, and unfortunately, and I'm not defending the airlines here, but it isn't their problem all the time. Uh, it looks like it's their problem. But if you have a shortage of air traffic controllers and planes are sitting on the runway and not getting out of the gates, then the flight is delayed or ultimately canceled. And that is the airline's problem. But it's really not because there were not enough flight controllers. There are not enough terminal staff. So it's a problem. It will continue to be a problem. So let's talk about changes for Europe. For years, we've been able to go Canadians with a passport. You didn't need a visa unless, I believe, unless you were staying for longer than 90 days. Otherwise, it was just sort of get on the plane, uh, have your have your credentials checked when you arrived and uh, have a great time. What's with this change in this permit for Europe? Is, a, is it a cash grab or something else, Marty? I don't think it's a cash grab, but it is another thing to add to your checklist now and another thing that will go wrong and that will have you in a line and create long lineups. The bottom line is $10 Canadian, I think it's $7 euros. If you are going to travel to any of the EU countries, you're going to need to go online and get approved, okay? And then it's going to be linked to your passport and will expire and have to be renewed as your passport expires. What are they looking for? They want to understand who's coming into their country. They say it's security, criminals, this, that. At the end of the day, I guess they'll get a good sampling of who travels to their countries. But nonetheless, it's still work on the traveler's part, and you got to have it or you're not going to get into those countries. So that I would say you could get that information out of a passport, but then I suppose that doesn't account for the fact that, say, once I land in Paris, I can then take a train to Geneva or elsewhere, and they wouldn't be able to track that way. So then does that mean airport or train or car? There'll be more checks at the borders? Because that doesn't really exist at all. No, absolutely. I mean, this is more than a passport. This is asking what you do for a living, uh, if you've had any criminal past whatsoever. Lots of personal questions, and I guess that's their prerogative if they want, but uh, it is so much more than any passport, and you will need it to travel to any one of the EU countries, and uh, it's just going to be another problem. Uh, But we have to live with it, and it appears it's in the making for a while. In 2024, it's going to start. So, Marty, as speaking of Europe, they're seeing record temperatures in, in many parts of Europe right now. It's making uh, travel and visiting there uh, somewhat miserable at times. They're closing uh, some of these incredible and popular tourist attractions because of the heat at certain times of the day in Greece in particular. Then, of course, this extraordinary situation with fires on, on several Greek islands, you know, I know we don't necessarily bring you on here to to hype the value of travel insurance, but this is really an example of why you need it because you just never know what's going to happen when you're away. Yeah, the primary reason why you bought cancellation and interruption is if you traveling penny or family member got ill. Well, it's anything but that now. It's now about an airport that can't be opened because of smoke or fire on its doorstep or a host of other reasons. So, Quite frankly, I don't know how anybody could lay out a significant amount of money and not back it up with insurance because you never know what tomorrow holds. And you may just get an email that you can't even get to that country because the airport's closed down because of smoke or things like that. So, yes, you are right. More than ever, the need for travel insurance. When it comes to heat, Marty, I'm curious if we're going to see, and I heard this in some stories this week, especially when we're talking about Greece and, and the heat there, but of course the fires, whether we'll have to maybe better manage or keep an eye on temperatures when we're booking and whether we might even see you know there are different warnings for different countries whether it's you know based on security or other would heat potentially become part of that equation or question when i'm booking a trip 
Uh, no doubt trends are going to change. I'm seeing some people that are now booking for the fall season, figuring it'll be cooler then, and they will avoid what's happening right now. There will never be a government travel advisory to avoid going to Greece because of the heat, I don't think. That's what would trigger a claim on an insurance product because the government called a level three or level four travel advisory. But I just think Prudent travelers now will say, you know what, I'm not interested in going on a 100 plus degree uh, temperature and I'm going to stall my trip till September, October, November and enjoy myself a lot more. So last one for you, as, as speaking to someone who goes to Europe on a regular basis and uh, a, a flight into Paris as an example, uh, for years and years, 13, 14, 1500 dollars if you wanted to go to Paris uh, round trip and, and not sit in economy, but you know, in, in sort of a mid range uh, ticket is getting closer to 3000 upwards of $4,000 at times. Is this a trend that's going to continue? Absolutely. I mean, forget even going to Paris, just go to Florida. I mean, everything is double what it once was before. There are few and far bargains out there. There are less airlines to spread that over and create a competitive marketplace. It is a bottom line. You are going to pay a lot more for air travel for anywhere you're going in the next little while. Well, thanks for that, Marty. We appreciate you uh, ending on that, on that note. I knew the answer, so I sort of set you up for that. But I, I appreciate, we appreciate you always joining us and, and jumping on uh, whenever we call. It, it is uh, appreciated beyond words. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Marty Firestone, president of Travel Secure. And Loren, I think, you know, when you do get those deals, you got to jump on them because as Marty says, they're few and far between. We just booked something this week for the fall. It's a special occasion for one of our family members. And it's, uh, we've been looking and looking and waiting and waiting. And finally, you know, you pull the trigger on it because you think, I, I surely I can't do better than this. And on the other hand, when it is that great deal, there's a bit of a, who I hope this is not too good to be true situation going down because it's still a lot of money, no matter what you're forking out. It's very rare that you're like, oh, well, <laughs> if I lose that, I'll be fine. You won't because for family trips, they're thousands of dollars. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and by the way, that uh, story with regards to Europe and the permits, that's a top story right now at globalnews.ca. So if you'd like to get more details, get down into the nitty gritty of that story, you can check that out there. I just wanted to check in on the Canada women's national soccer team, how they're doing at the World Cup. They had that draw with Nigeria 0-0 a few days ago. And now today they're playing Ireland and the game is tied at one at the half. And so uh, keeping an eye on that as well this morning. Yeah, Ireland scored first. They scored early on a beautiful corner kick. I've yet to see Canada's uh, goal yet, but 1-1 Canada-Ireland at the World Cup in New Zealand and Australia. Keep your text messages coming on leftovers, your tricks and favorites. And in our next half hour, we will discuss a project which has been contemplated for decades in our city. Many say we can't afford to consider it. Others say we can't afford not to. That after Global News at 8.30, Loren. Right now, to start this half hour, we welcome Global News morning reporter Clay Young. Good morning, Clay. Where are you this morning? What uh, are you sharing with our listeners? Well, uh, good morning to you, uh, you guys over there. I'm at the Nine Circles Community Health Center. It's right on Broadway. It's been around for, for a number of years now. And we're going to talk about uh, HIV, um, a virus that is 
pretty much been around for 40-some years now. Uh, it made headlines, of course, back in, in the 80s because HIV, if not properly cared for, can lead to full-blown AIDS. So right now I'm talking to Kim Templeton, who is with the Manitoba HIV uh, program. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you uh, for inviting us down here. This is the first time we've had a tour of this facility. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right. So what is the Manitoba HIV program? The HIV program is a program that provides care and HIV treatment to approximately 2,000 people in Manitoba who are living with HIV. Uh, we provide direct care and treatment at three centres across the province right now, here at Nine Circles, at the Health Sciences Centre and at 7th Street in, in Brandon. Um, and one of the other big roles of the program is to coordinate service for people who are newly diagnosed, um, to ensuring that people who are newly diagnosed with HIV link to the care that they need and that they sustain that care throughout their lifetime so that they can live well with HIV. Now, from what we understand, HIV cases are on the rise in Manitoba. And, you know, if, if you go back in, back in the day, uh, in the 80s, um, HIV slash AIDS primarily was targeting gay men. Fast forward a couple of decades, that is no longer the case. I mean, there are, it's affecting the heterosexual population it's affecting women as you had mentioned before it, it's significantly affecting our indigenous population can you tell us more on that yeah I, this certainly hiv is still um, a condition that that impacts gay bisexual and men who have sex with men um, that's a trend that we still see nationally in canada but things look really different here in manitoba unfortunately um, where women are disproportionately impacted. There's about 50% of, of people who have been newly diagnosed with HIV in the province are, are women. Um, there's a lot of uh, Indigenous women, unfortunately, that are, that are being impacted by this condition. And that is due, like so many other things, um, to the impacts of um, colonization and systemic uh, racism. Um, so these are some things that we're really looking closely at and working with our stakeholders to provide meaningful solutions um, um, for what's happening here in, in the province. Some of these uh, Indigenous women you're speaking of, is it difficult for them to, because of the circumstances to, to find the care and treatment they need? Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of uh, other bigger concerns that, that um, some folks are facing right now. Uh, those are mental health concerns. Um, there's uh, folks are, are struggling with substance use, um, primarily uh, uh, methamphetamine and injecting uh, methamphetamine. Um, they're also struggling with a lot of mental health concerns. So HIV isn't necessarily their top priority when they think about um, the, some of those other bigger needs. And what the HIV program is working to do is, is provide um, supports so that they can link to care and sustain those supports over a lifetime again so that they can live, live well with, with HIV. Certainly our end goal is to get folks uh, on HIV treatment but there's so many other things that, that um, folks need support with in order to, to be on treatment and sustain that treatment. You said uh, right off the bat there's about 2,000 Manitobans who are living with HIV. Do you expect those numbers to climb? I mean, the, the, the situation could get worse before it gets better. 
Unfortunately, yes. Um, for a long time, we, we would see around 100 people a year in Manitoba that were newly diagnosed with, with HIV. Um, but in 2023, we're expecting well over 300 people to be newly diagnosed. And unfortunately, that's going to get a lot worse. Um, before it gets better. Um, but we are uh, working really, really hard to provide the right kind of care for people. Um, one of the things that we're really excited about is um, being able to provide care to folks out in the community. Um, there's, uh, for a variety of reasons, folks don't necessarily uh, present to care here at Nine Circles and at, at our other care sites. Um, so we're looking to provide programming again out into the community and again provide those wraparound care supports to support people to to be on treatment and sustain that treatment right uh, one last thing uh, back in the 80s if you were diagnosed with HIV it would uh, lead to AIDS and that that was an automatic death sentence right uh, there's no escaping it but now you fast forward medical science has come through with a lot of of treatments that are available that pretty much can, if you, if you take your medication, you can lead a normal life. That's absolutely the case. Um, uh, it is absolutely not a death sentence anymore. Um, treatment for HIV has come a long way. Uh, it's usually very simple with very few side effects. It usually comes in the form of, of taking one pill, pill a day. Um, so if you're newly diagnosed or if you're living with HIV, there is help. Um, you're not alone and the HIV program and, and uh, the partners that we're working with can provide you with that care, care and treatment. So we encourage anybody who, who may be concerned that they might be living with HIV to get tested and to contact our program. Um, you can call our toll-free line and be connected with, with a person who can support you to, to get the care that you need. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. All right, back to you guys. Thank you, Clay. Clay Young out in the community, uh, Global News Morning reporter, and Loren, uh, that's, a, that's a shocking number, 100 cases a year over the last several years, sort of predictably in Manitoba now, expecting 300 cases, cases of HIV uh, this year. That's, that's, a, that's obviously a, a 300% jump. And that's huge considering that Manitoba already it has the second highest new diagnosis rate in this country. We're, we, per 100,000 people, we're sitting at a rate of 10.5. Saskatchewan uh, has almost doubled that, but Manitoba and Saskatchewan clearly have an issue here. And it's not just about the rate of diagnosis, it's the different demos and demographics that it's affecting. So uh, I'm glad that we did that. And I, I wasn't aware of just how stark the situation and concerning it is in this province. We appreciate Clay. You can find his work. You can see him on Global News Morning. Stick with us. We've got traffic, weather, business, sports, news and conversation about something that people say, uh, we can't afford that. Others beg to differ. It is the start on 680 CJOB.